It's Thursday, August 26th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. One of the most recognizable album covers in music is the subject of a new lawsuit alleging it constituted child pornography. Spencer Eldon is suing over Nirvana's Nevermind album cover, in which he is pictured as a naked baby 30 years ago. In his lawsuit, Eldon said that having him swim toward a dollar on a fishhook makes him look like a sex worker. Chris Willman, features editor at Variety, joins us for how that album cover came to be and the new lawsuit. Next, Delta Airlines has upped its game in the vaccine pressure campaign. Stopping short of a mandate, Delta has said that unvaccinated employees will have their health insurance premiums increased by $200 a month. They cited the high cost of treating employees who have been hospitalized, which averages out to $50,000 per person. Leslie Josephs, airline reporter at CNBC, joins us for more. Finally, the intelligence community has provided President Biden with a report on the origins of COVID-19, and it was inconclusive. Furthermore, the WHO team that was also looking into the start of the pandemic warned that time is running out and it could soon be biologically impossible to obtain the data needed to nail down the cause. Betsy McKay, senior writer at The Wall Street Journal, joins us for the ongoing delays into the search for the pandemic origins. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. I went to a baseball game on opening day at the Dodgers and I was looking out at all the people and I was like, had a moment where I was like, Man, all of these people have seen my baby penis when I was a baby. Joining us now is Chris Willman, features editor at Variety. Thanks for joining us, Chris. My pleasure. One of the most recognizable album covers of all time is the subject of a new lawsuit. We're talking about Nirvana's Nevermind album cover. And, uh, you know, everybody knows it. Everybody's seen it. It's a picture of underwater of a baby swimming in there. He's fully naked and he's swimming towards a, a dollar bill on a fish hook. The man who was who used to be that baby, Spencer Eldon, is uh, suing, alleging that the album cover is child pornography. A uh, weird way to go, I think, for this uh, lawsuit. But Chris, uh, help us walk through some of this. What are we seeing? Yes, the infant in question is now 30, just like the Nevermind album, obviously, because uh, he was four months old when the cover was shot. And I think the cover was shot just about two months before the album came out. So it was fairly last minute as things things go. And, you know, his father, the baby's father, was friends with the photographer who, and they had some kind of vague instructions about shooting a baby underwater. And at the time, 1991, um, it was like, come to the uh, aquatic center at the Rose Bowl and uh, for $200, throw your baby in the water. And, you know, it, it's, it's in question, you know, how much they knew about what it was going to be used for. But in interviews in the past, the baby is now a young man, uh, Spencer Eldon, has has said that they didn't really know, his parents didn't really know what it was going to be used for, how potentially it was going to be used until they drove by Tower Records on Sunset and saw this huge blow-up of the photo shoot. And for that, they got $200 and a teddy bear and a platinum record. So the the young man in question has had 30 years to sort of deal with this, and he's been ambivalent over the years. He's participated in many interviews and photo shoots where he, as an adult or a teenager, he recreated the uh, the album cover, albeit wearing swim trunks right. and, and not naked like the baby on the cover. <laughs> so it seemed like he was enjoying his fame. Yeah, he did it. At, course, for, he did it for at least four album cover anniversaries. So uh, there was a number of times yeah. he he did recreate it. And he even got Nevermind tattooed on his chest. So there there was a level of enjoyment amid the ambivalence. It would seem like. 
But now, all of a sudden, kind of out of the blue, for the 30th anniversary, we have this lawsuit where he is alleging that it was child pornography, which not not a lot of people saw coming. You know, you might have expected, hey, we're suing because we didn't sign a release, which is something they also contend, or we deserve more payment for 30 million albums sold than $200. But that's not the way they're going. They're going with the child porn angle. That's exactly what I was talking to other people about when this story came out today. It was like, I can totally understand somebody saying, I'm going to file a lawsuit to get damages back for this. We didn't sign the release of that photo. Let's go down this legal route to see what we can get back. That's totally understandable. And we've seen it in other different cases. But to go this child pornography route is so odd to me. They say that because they have the fish hook with the dollar on there and the baby's like swimming towards it, it makes them look like a sex worker. You know, some of the stuff that's in the in the lawsuit, if you can help elaborate on that, is pretty crazy, it seems like. I mean, I, I just have spoken with the legal team for the young man, and they're a legal team that specializes in child pornography cases. So that may help explain why that is their main angle here and yeah. not the, you, you didn't sign a release. That's what they do. They do child pornography lawsuits. And so that's what they're hitting with heavy. And, and, it, and it makes um, sense when you read certain passages from the lawsuit, you know, the way they write it, it, it is geared very specifically to that angle. You haven't talked to the lawyer or one of the lawyers on the case, you know, she's very passionate about this. This is something she considers part of what she deals with all the time in terms of child exploitation. And while the rest of us may go, oh, where'd that come from? This is like, well, of course, to them, it's child pornography. So the reaction I'm seeing, Nirvana fans may be biased, but... It seems like not a lot of people over the last 30 years have been saying, oh, this is obviously child court. Now, you know, you look up online and you will see Reddit groups everywhere. It's going, is that legal You know, to show a, a baby's penis? And then the answer will be, well, yeah, actually it is if it's non-sexualized. So, of course, with this lawsuit, they're taking the position that it's totally sexualized. But that would seem to be in the eye of a beholder. And I would say not a plurality of beholders have, have thought that way until now. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, on that front, too, right, the part of the story goes is that they said maybe at the time, maybe we'll put a sticker over Spencer's little Spencer there. But Kurt Cobain insisted saying that if we put a sticker there, it would basically say if uh, you were offended by this, you must be a closet pedophile. So, I mean, even back then, it seemed like they were thinking about that maybe, but I just feel like a lot of people would look at that and and not feel that it was a sexualized photo. Who knows? I guess that's up to a judge, right? Yeah. Or a jury. They want a jury trial on this. And I asked the lawyer, I said, are you going to appeal to sort of the plurality of opinion out there? Because I, I would say that, you know, not most people historically so far have not considered this child porn. And, and she was like, that doesn't matter. You know, it's it, what, what the jurors think after we presented our case is what matters. So wow. she's convinced that 12 people will see this as child porn, whether they came into it thinking it's just an innocent Nirvana yeah. cover or not. Chris Willman, features editor at Variety. Thank you very much for joining us. You bet. Glad to. They're saying that unvaccinated workers are going to have to pay $200 more in their health insurance premiums. So that's a a pretty big monthly charge for people who are unvaccinated. Joining us now is Leslie Josephs, airline reporter at CNBC. Thanks for joining us, Leslie. Thank you. 
Well, we have the vaccine pressure campaign uh, starting in the airline industry. There have been a few airlines that have mandated vaccines for their employees. Obviously, we saw the Pfizer vaccine get full approval by the FDA earlier this week. But Delta is doing something interesting. They're saying if you're unvaccinated, we're going to up your health insurance premiums. Uh, You have to start paying $200 a month just to cover the cost of not being vaccinated. So uh, interesting point there. So, Leslie, how are they doing it? What's going on? Delta, the CEO, said today that it costs the company $50,000 when an employee is hospitalized. This is a self-funded insurance program that Delta has. So starting November 1st, they're saying that unvaccinated workers are going to have to pay $200 more in their health insurance premiums. So that's a pretty big monthly charge for people who are unvaccinated. There are also other measures that Delta announced today. Their immediate masking. If you are unvaccinated in any indoor uh, Delta space, headquarters or otherwise, and you're going to have to start in September taking regular COVID tests weekly if you are unvaccinated. And then also if you catch COVID and you're not vaccinated starting uh, late September, you're going to have to use your sick days for that. Whereas before Delta was uh, pay protecting everybody. And mm-hmm. you did note it in the article, this was a change in approach by Delta, not by United Healthcare, who, who runs their, their health insurance plans. That's right. Yeah, this is a Delta initiative. And, and like you mentioned, Delta did stop short of this mandate. And we've seen this in other companies, too. It's kind of like, do you use the carrot or the stick? And Delta has been offering uh, you know, extra pay or time off. And we see that at American Airlines as well. But now they're kind of putting the, the cost onto the employee to urge as many people as possible to be be vaccinated. And we should know that Delta has about 75,000 employees, uh, CEO Ed Bastian saying today about three quarters of them are vaccinated. So they want to get to 100 percent. This is this is an industry that is so dependent on this virus going away or at least cases falling so that business travel comes back. We see leisure travel at, you know, the levels we were at in 2019 and their, their financial security pretty much depends on it. What else does the landscape look like with the airlines? Who is mandating stuff? Who's going kind of this Delta route? United Airlines was the first one to come out earlier this month and mandate vaccines for its entire U.S. workforce, about 68,000 people. And the way that's going to work is it's going to be the way they set it up was five weeks after the FAA gives full approval to one of the vaccines, which, of course, they did this week with the Pfizer vaccine. So that puts it at uh, September 27th. And it's a very strict mandate. They say you're going to you could face termination if you don't get this vaccine. There are exceptions for religious and medical reasons, but it is an extremely strict mandate. We have seen Hawaiian Airlines also is going to be mandating vaccines. Alaska Airlines is thinking about it. And they told employees that earlier this month, and they said it it would only happen after the FDA made the step that it, it took on Monday, giving full approval to one of the vaccines. And Frontier Airlines kind of is in the middle. They are saying that you have to get vaccinated. And if you don't, if you choose to, so you can still elect whether to get it or not, you will have to have a regular COVID test. We have not seen American Airlines, which is offering, you know, extra pay or time off for employees to get vaccinated, you know, extra vacation day next year, for example, or Southwest. And we have heard from a lot of pilot unions, including at Delta, that they want to keep it voluntary. So I think airlines are also weighing what are the reactions going to be from some of our, our critical employees. So we've seen pushback from the pilots union. Have we seen it in other areas or has it been kind of relegated to that for the most part? 
We have heard it from one of the unions at United, the IAM that represents the ramp and, and customer service workers. They had told us uh, last week that there is some hesitance amongst some of their members uh, to get vaccinated. Some have threatened to quit. Time will tell if this happens on September 27th by the, by the time of the deadline. But the union also told us United is within their legal rights and there, there isn't really a legal challenge that they could mount to this, even though some of the members might be asking them to sue the companies. So their hands are tied in, in that regard. Well, this is all a push to, uh, you know, obviously for Delta not to spend so much money if their employees do get hospitalized, but also to keep everybody healthier and safe, uh, you know, even for the passengers themselves. They've extended that mask wearing deadline. It was supposed to expire in September. How long did they extend it to now? So the uh, CSA or the Biden administration as a whole really has extended that mask mandate. September uh, 14th was going to be when it was lifted, and now it's going to be uh, the middle of January. I believe it's the 18th of January. So we're going to, you know, if you're flying during the holidays, you're you're going to have to wear a mask on a plane, and, and that's not much of a surprise. And right. just looking at the case numbers of COVID, so it doesn't look like that's something that's going to be lifted. But the airlines. They want their employees to be vaccinated so that when demand continues to tick up, they don't have staffing shortages. I mean, those are things that we've seen over the summer. So it's, you know, add staffing shortages, add to that the potential for your workers to get severe COVID. You know, that's that's a a worry amongst the executives for sure. Leslie Josephs, airline reporter at CNBC. Thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. Chinese government has said, well, things are done here. No more studies need to be done here. We've we've wrapped up the inquiry. The investigation now needs to move to other countries. Joining us now is Betsy McKay, senior writer at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Betsy. Um, it's nice to be with you. I wanted to talk about some new developments in the ongoing uh, search for answers to the origins of COVID-19. Unfortunately, the two developments aren't very good news. The first one, this week, the intelligence community delivered a classified report to the Biden administration on COVID origins. This is uh, something that Biden instructed them to do 90 days ago. The unfortunate thing with that was that it was inconclusive. They really didn't settle on anything. And the other one is uh, the WHO team who led the original fact-finding mission there says time's running out on whether we can find answers on all of this. So, Betsy, help us walk through some of this. Let's start with that intelligence report. As I mentioned, it just came out inconclusive, basically. I would say overall, the situation with searching for the origin of the pandemic has pretty much stalled. The first thing is that, as you said, the U.S. intelligence agencies had been tasked with putting together a report for the president, assessing the evidence. And basically, they didn't reach a definitive conclusion one way or another when they looked at two kind of leading and competing hypotheses. One is that the pandemic virus started spreading in the population after jumping naturally from an animal. The other hypothesis is that it escaped from a laboratory, you know, as part of an experiment or was carried by a lab worker somehow. So no conclusion there. Yeah. And on the other side of things, uh, as I mentioned, the WHO led team, they're saying that it could be biologically impossible to get the data that we need to pinpoint the cause of the pandemic. And as we've talked about this before, I mean, you know, China's being very difficult in letting researchers get some data and and explore things out there. But uh, I mean, just with the passage of time, you know, it's just hard to 
get that data from so long ago now. That's essentially a problem that the U.S. government had, too, and the intelligence agencies, is that trying to get information out of, out of China, you know, key data to be analyzed, is very difficult. So this team of independent scientists who were convened by the WHO wrote a, you know, an op-ed, essentially, saying the same thing. You know, they put together a report. The report came out in March, you know, several months ago now recommending further studies. And some of these studies are time sensitive, like looking for antibodies in people who were had contact with animals who could have been exposed, testing the animals themselves. I mean, many of the animals are gone now. China closed the wildlife farms where animals are raised and brought to markets in cities like Wuhan and are a suspected source of the pandemic. And so you know, these are important studies, these scientists say, that, that need to be done, you know, testing people, testing their blood, interviewing them, talking with them, people who worked on the farms or otherwise had access. And um, the more time that passes, the more evidence that, that disappears. Antibodies wane. And once they wane, it becomes much more difficult to tell if somebody might have had COVID-19 in, in 2019 or not. What are we seeing in the way of pushback from China? Because obviously they don't want uh, something to come down. It's basically blames them and the whole nine, right? They don't want to go through that whole thing. So obviously their hesitation is, I guess, understandable, you could say. But what are they doing? What are they not allowing? They're not allowing these scientists to come in and, and do these studies. But I mean, are they threatening them with something? How's that all playing out? So normally in a situation like this, you have a collaborative scientific process. You have scientists around the world, working together. This happened with the first SARS epidemic in 2003. After that, the WHO convened a team of international scientists who went to China and worked with Chinese scientists on the ground and conducted essentially an investigation, you know, tested, did all sorts of testing in markets, looked for clues, and then followed up over the ensuing years with studies kind of zeroing in on the, the possible origins. Um, they very quickly identified that it probably came from bats and then just kind of did more and more studies over several years and finally were able to reach a conclusion. And this has been kind of politicized from the start. From the beginning, China hasn't wanted to disclose information. Scientists haven't been able to work together in the same way that they have in the past. And so, you know, now we're getting to the point where we're nearly two years beyond the point at which some of this evidence became, yeah, right. <laughs> um, but the pandemic may have started. And so it's getting more and more difficult. China, for its part, well, so this WHO team, as I said, has recommended a, a set of studies that they say need to be done. And that's a team of international scientists and Chinese scientists have recommended these studies. The government, the Chinese government has said, well, things are done here. No more studies need to be done here. We've, we've wrapped up the inquiry. The investigation now needs to move to other countries where the pandemic could have begun. Betsy McKay, senior writer at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. 
follow us on iHeartRadio, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.